0: Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features our founding pastor, Ken Werlein, and was recorded on Sunday, July 4. Thanks for tuning in. If you live close by and you're ready to visit, we'd love to meet you in person next Sunday at either 9 or 11 a.m. If you can't make it in person, you can always find us live every Sunday at faithbridge.org live. Now, here's Pastor Ken. Hey, welcome, I'm so glad that you are here, whether you're in this room, whether you're you're at the communion service, whether you're online, traveling somewhere on this fourth, happy fourth, so glad you're here. You know, it's really kind of uh, amazing that we're here, and I'm not speaking about all the fireworks and everything last night that I a couple times wondered if I was going to survive, It felt like our house was coming down, but I'm thinking in terms of history, and I want to explain that to you in a minute, but, but where we're going to go in our Bibles is to Luke chapter 9. So if you want a Bible, you can uh, just raise your hand, and our ushers will be happy to, to pass those out to you, and you can follow along, or you can use your electronic uh, device. But, but while you're turning there, let me give you a little history. Of course, Christianity started with Jesus and 12 people who he called to him who became his apostles, who became his disciples, right? And things were off to a good start, except there was minus one, so we lose one. Uh, This is all in the year around 30. Um, And then they grow to 70, and then we read in Corinthians about the 500. But a little history I think is always interesting, just to consider the enormity of the fact that we're here several thousand years later. What happened by the year 150? the Christian church was up to roughly 40,000. Rodney Stark, church historians of uh, estimates. And then you go up to 200 AD, and we're up to 218,000. 250 AD, we're up to a million and a half, and a hundred years later, we're up to 30 million people who are following after Jesus Christ. Now, that's some serious growth. That's some exponential growth that we would come from the 12 minus 1, right? And it hasn't stopped. It continues to happen. I'm thinking even to the recent century, go back 7 or 8 uh, decades. You remember what happened in China in the 1940s when Chairman Mao took over and he brings the communist regime and he throws out all the Christian missionaries, kills some of the Christians inside, says that we're not going to have Christianity in this land called China. And best estimates are when that happened roughly 2 million Christians existed. The whole onlooking world said, that'll be the end of Christianity there in China. It's going to get snuffed out, but that's not what happened. Those believers who were there in China, they just figured out ways to improvise. They got real quiet about it. They started meeting in little cells in little houses. They started whispering their sermons and whispering their songs, and they would, they would worship nonetheless. And other people said, I want to have the hope that you have. And they would come in, and one thing and another. You know what happened when the bamboo curtain went up? In the 1970s, there was roughly 60 million Christians, people who were following Jesus, and they hadn't been able to even do it publicly and aloud and like the ways that, that we have. I mentioned this because sometimes people say, "Well, God's not going to be able to work in our land with, with the way things are going." And I said, "No don't no, read history. Read history. God's not limited. And that's what I think that we need to keep our eyes on as we journey through history. So on this Independence Day, I just thought I wanted to just talk about what God has done in the past and and what created this vortex, sort of like a, a whirlwind or a cyclone that just almost sucked people in. They just thought, I want to be a part of what's going on here in this church because I would love to see that happen again in our land today. Amen? I'm concerned though that we do seem to be moving at breakneck speed away from that. But I don't think it has so much to do with the government. I think it has to do with something else and that's really what I want to talk about. I think it has to do with what's going on inside your soul and my soul and the soul of all believers in our land. If we were going to have revival, there would have to be a fire lit inside us all that would just set us ablaze in such a fascinating way that people would be like, oh my gosh, there's something so unique and so distinct about you. Despite my skepticism, despite my cynicism, I want to be more like you. I want more of what you have because you have this quality of love and this quality of joy and this quality of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and you're gentle you're self-controlled you're forgiving you're generous what's not to like about all those things I want in I want to be part of that I think people would be drawn into that vortex I think the problem is that many American Christians have given into what we'll call sort of the half-baked half-hearted life of discipleship. Perpetually trying to figure out how could I be a half Christian? How can I go in halfway? Because I like the thought of eternal salvation in heaven. That sounds pretty good to me. I wanna get close enough to Jesus to get that, but I don't wanna get close enough to Jesus that he'd ever ask anything of me in the way of sacrifice. In other words, I'll stick my toes in the water, that's okay, but I don't wanna plunge in. I don't wanna get carried away. And the problem is that sort of Christianity is turned very tepid, flaccid, meh. People look at that and say, Yeah, I don't think there's much of anything inside of you that I'd want to have inside of me. You're not that different from me. So I think many people like the thought of having a relationship with Jesus, but it just needs to be on their terms. I want to be on my terms. I want to be kind of a half-Christian. That's not what Jesus was ever offering. No, his message was, I want you to trade in all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. I want you to surrender all of yourself to me. Then I will come in with the power of my Holy Spirit working inside of you. I'll set you ablaze and you'll be on fire. And other people will say, i got to come closer to you because you are so captivating and riveting and contagious. I want us to look at a verse. It's in Luke chapter 9. This will be our primary text. Not long, but it gives us plenty to talk about. Luke chapter 9, Jesus was getting to the nub of this. He's fed 5,000. He's done miracles. And, and he's going he's to say, now, let me tell you what's really going to change the world. It's not the big crowd stuff. Okay? It's what I'm getting ready to say. He says in verse 23... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I want to make three observations from this uh, text. Okay, so if you're a note taker, here's the first one. The first one is this. If you're going to follow after Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself. That's the first one. What is he talking about? He's meaning this is pretty radical in terms of sort of the psychological inter, inner life. This has to do with your identity. You're gaining a sense of self. And he's saying you're going to have to put that to, to death. You're going to have to set that aside. And I'm going to give you a whole different identity than the identity that you've had. Sort of like when people get married. You know, they say when people get married, it takes seven years for those two people to really start to think of themselves as married. Because for the first seven years, you, you, you say, sure, I can go and do that. And then your spouse is like, why did you say you could do that? We, we already have this. And you're like, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting. There's a we in this, right? And, and, and what makes it even more complex is particularly in this day of uh, you know, social media, there is a perpetual tendency for people to do what psychologists call cross bonding, where they stay in touch with old flames uh, and just kind of checking in with them and, and this sort of thing. And, and it's sort of like a river that's not staying, the water's not staying in the banks. It sort of starts to flow over, and, and people start getting confused. And you know, well, maybe I, I did, maybe she was better, maybe he was better, and, because you're doing cross bonding. And that's why when we work with marriages, we're like, I mean, "You're going to have to cut that kind of stuff off. <laughs> Your marriage is never going to get going if we don't get all the all the all the water flowing in the banks here towards one person." In a very real way, American too many, not all. I hope none of us, but too many American Christians, I think, are are doing cross bonding with the world. Uh, it, it, it's sort of like <clears throat> we're track switching. Sort of like here's the discipleship track and here's the world's track. And we lay those tracks real close so that we can just jump back and forth. Right now, I'm the Christian. Right now, maybe not so much. Right now, I'm the Christian. Maybe not so much. And we we do this cross bonding with the world. Jesus said, no, that's that's not what I am offering. He said, I'm offering all of me for all of you. I'm asking you to, to deny yourself. That's the first thing. He didn't say, hey, would any of you just please, please, please. Just I just need some people to identify me. Just to say I'm a Christian. That's all I need. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to become more like me. I just need to get up a little crowd. Would you at least say yes to that? That's not what he said. He said, no, all of me for all of you. Now, before uh, going on, I, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And maybe these would be good discussion questions for your family uh, over lunch or in your grow group this week. But here's the question for you How has following Jesus interfered with your life? How has it interfered with your life? Maybe in the things that you post on social, maybe in your finances, what you're doing with your money? How's being a disciple? affected your communication, your conversations, your honesty, your gossip quotient, maybe your consumption of substances, of alcohol, your willingness to be humble, to make amends, to ask forgiveness. How's it affected your sexuality? Um, if you say, none, none of those things, then I would challenge you. To really ask a deeper question, am I trying to be a half Christian but the real thing hasn't gotten hold of me yet? Because that would be a problem. Here's another question you could wrestle with, where are you being asked to sacrifice or to deny yourself to be a more faithful follower of his? Okay, why don't you spend some time talking about those sorts of things Um, because if, if your heart has really been touched, if it's really been melted by God's amazing saving grace, you're going to hear his call. Say, now I want you to let go of that because I need more of you over here. That's the life of discipleship. But it's worth it. I want to talk about a second thing. He says, now, deny yourself and then take up your cross daily. Notice he moves to a continuum of time. Now, when do you want me to be a follower? Daily. Every day? All day long. That's what my deal is. That's what I'm asking you. Kyle Eidelman is a preacher up in Kentucky. And he wrote a book some years ago in which he distinguished the difference between being a fan of Jesus or being a a follower of Jesus. He calls it, are you being a fan or are you being a real follower? He said one way to identify the fans is this, fans try to follow Jesus by compartmentalizing the areas of their lives that they don't want him to have access to. They try and negotiate the terms of the deal. I'll follow Jesus over here, but not over here. I'll follow him in this setting, but not that setting. I'll follow him when I'm with those people, but not when I'm at work. Not with my boss, not with my employees. None of that Jesus stuff there. Again, it's, it's not hard to find folks who like the thought of having a relationship with Jesus so long as it can just be on their terms. But that's not ever what Jesus was offering. He said, no, daily. I'm asking you to follow me daily. We can't treat him as a consultant my friend and mentor Larry Osborne says, God doesn't do consulting. Never has, never will. He does God. Jesus never offered to be anybody's savior and consultant. And what's the deal with a consultant? Consultants, you know, they offer you advice then they get on the plane and leave with the paycheck and you can take the advice or wave it off. That's not what Jesus ever offered. And so we don't get to clock in, we don't get to clock out. And if we won't pay the... The price, the cost of discipleship. Others start to notice that. and They say, yeah, there's nothing that different from you. But it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for me. My son William got home from a, a, a mission trip yesterday. And he's all fired up and on fire. And I was just thinking how much he's grown. And, and hopefully I'm asking myself, have you grown as much as he has grown over here, the last six or eight years, and my mind took me to this to this situation. I've told it to you before, I think, years ago, uh, when it was fresh. But when he was a little guy, he was on a football team, little flag football team, and <clears throat> these little six and seven year olds are running around and they're playing flag football, and and the opposition one day uh, there, there was a, a big fella. I mean, he was big. He looked like he was steroid fed from age three, and. <laughs> But whenever he would get near one of our guys, he'd reach for the flag and he'd get the flag, but he'd knock the guy over. And so one or two of us said, Hey, he's tackling. And, uh, you know, this is flag. And it uh, happened several times. He's tackling. And finally, I heard coming out of my mouth saying to the ref, Hey, that boy is tackling. The ref said, Hey, we got it under control. I said, I don't think you do. He said, hey, you, you need to calm down. We're going to deal with it. I said, well, then deal with it. Right about then, our coach came running over to me, who happens to be Dylan Lucas, our, our executive pastor here at the church. He says, Ken, 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 settle down, settle down. Three reasons. Number one, you love Jesus more than this. Number two, you're a pastor. Number three, The hat on your head says Faith Bridge. Okay, so you really, you need to stop it right now because your witness is being compromised, right? And I had to, and I had to go and make some amends afterwards um, as well. I was reminded in that moment, we don't get to clock in, we don't get to clock out on our discipleship. We're We're called to take up our crosses and to follow every day, not in, not out. Anything, anytime, anywhere. It's interesting. Here, uh, um, if you look at, at, at early church history, the earliest Christians they had a word that they used to describe themselves. Is the Greek word doulos. Say doulos. Yeah. You know what it meant. It meant a servant or a slave. Okay. So when you read about the early Christians, they would refer to themselves as doulases of Jesus. And, and and you see that, uh, I, Paul, a doulos of Jesus Christ, or James in the start of his letter, I, James, a doulos of Jesus Christ. Now, you think about it, you're like, well, why did you call yourself slaves to Christ? I mean, slaves, is kind of, that's kind of bad, slavery, and, and that sort of thing. Why would you call yourself a slave to Christ, a servant to Christ? Here's why. If you do a little Old Testament work, you find out in Deuteronomy um, chapter 15, Something interesting happened. Let me read you the verse and then I'll explain it. It says, if a servant says to you, or a slave, a doula says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through the earlobe, his earlobe, into the door, and he'll become your servant for life. Do the same for your female servant as well. Now, what's going on here? Well, every six years... Slaves were set free. There's sort of like a clean slate kind of deal. A little different system than the one in the 1800s in our nation. Um, But in any event, that's how it was working. And and so an interesting thing was happening that they were uh, dealing with. Sometimes slave owners were so generous and so gracious and so concerned and caring and family-like that when they could have their freedom... The slaves would say, I don't want to go anywhere. Where could I get what I have here? You love me, you love my family, you take care of us. If I go out there, I, I won't have that. I don't want to leave you because you're a good kurios. Kurios means Lord. I don't want to leave you because you're my Lord and you're good. And so let's do the little deal cuz we'll just keep staying and we'll just we'll just be here and we'll continue to serve here. And that's why the early Christians said we are slaves voluntarily to our Lord Curios Jesus. We couldn't do better than him. Look at what he's come to give to us. Look at the life he lived, the death he died. The penalty he paid. The grave he conquered. Look at all of that. Where could we get anybody who would ever do that for us? We're staying. And so here's the interesting thing. The only way, friends, even today, well past the post-slavery days, but still, the only way that you and I can call Jesus our kurios, our Lord, is if simultaneously we're acknowledging I'm your doulas. E- even in the same way that my sons, they can't call me dad without also at the same time admitting they're a son of mine. So see, if he's if he's really your Lord, then you're really his servant, his slave voluntarily, because of the love you've experienced from him and the love that you wanna give back to him. I've shared before a touching piece that I think captures a person's heart who really had this right. In the recent few decades, there was a pastor in Rwanda who apparently paid the price for his faith and would die as a martyr. But before doing so, he wrote this piece And I like bringing it in every several years because it just helps me and I think it helps you as well. Here's what he wrote. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back. I won't let up, I won't slow down, I won't back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I'm finished with done and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or regarded or rewarded. Now I live by faith. I lean on his presence I walk by patience I lift by prayer And I labor by power My face is set My gate is fast My goal is heaven My road is narrow My way is rough My companions are few My guide is reliable My mission is clear I cannot be bought I cannot be compromised I cannot be detoured or lured away Or turned back or deluded or delayed I will not flip in the face of sacrifice hesitate in the presence of the adversary negotiate at the table of the enemy ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, preached up for the crawls of Christ and I'm a disciple of Jesus I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes then for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. That's pretty good stuff, huh? Amen. I think he wasn't the slightest bit of a half Christian. This is a person who, he wasn't confused. Am I all in or just sort of dangling my toes in? No, this is a guy who says, hey, I'm denying myself and I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow. And that leads to the third thing, follow me. Tim Keller points out, there's not two kinds of Christians, friends. The people who are really disciples and then the regular Christians. That demarcation doesn't exist. There's only one kind. I think our greatest spiritual problem in this nation is that there's a lot of people who are professing to be Christians. But are they really? Are they really followers? Here's one more thing I'd love for you to discuss over lunch or in your grow group this week. What would it mean for you to deny yourself, to take up your cross... And to follow him. What would that look like for you? Maybe he'd say to you, you know, it's about that porn habit. You go to church, you go to your grow group. You, you, you play the part really, really well. Sometimes you complain that the, the teaching isn't deep enough. Or the curriculum at your grow groups should be tougher. But let's deal with reality. All those are smoke screens you go back up to your man cave and you go back to porn you're at square one it's time for you to deal with that maybe you'd say it's it's time for you to actually roll your sleeves up and serve serve some people inside the walls of the church, serve some people outside the walls. I'm thinking about the people. Both my boys have been on the road uh, mission trip this this summer and both had fantastic. And I'm thinking about the the people that just went, the adults that went and just helped guide this experience that they had. Gave up a week of their vacation. Maybe the Lord would say, you know, it's time for you to do that because you've gotten pretty good at making it all about you. But that's not what the life of discipleship is is maybe some of you would hear him say you're sure holding on to your resources really really well and the government keeps giving you more and more and you just keep holding on to it maybe it's time to be generous Um, or maybe it's something right in your own family maybe he'd say i just need you to follow me in your own family even when it's inconvenient I had one of those several weeks ago we were at a family camp where I was speaking and those are fun and, and it's not totally fun because when you're working you you also have to think okay here's the talk I'm gonna to do tomorrow and you're doing about five or six of those and <clears throat> but the family's having an awesome time and so I'm sort of living in both these worlds I don't remember, I, th- I think it was the second to last night, maybe it was the third to last night. And, and there had been a lot of excitement, I think, dancing and chanting and and sugar and caffeine. And, and so our whole family, we're, we're in our cabin and nobody's going to sleep. But we're like, y'all, we need to go to sleep. You know, it's at 11 o'clock because tomorrow comes and we got to sleep, gotta get sleep, got to get sleep. And so we're all lying there and nobody's sleeping. And, and, then, and finally, one by one, people start to, to sort of doze off, including me. And I don't think I'd been asleep 30 minutes before I feel this tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. And I knew it was one of the boys. I was like, no. No. He said, Dad, I need to talk. I'm like, son, I, not right now you don't. I gotta get up at 4.30 or 5 and get my talk ready for the morning. And son, can't we just... Okay, how about we talk tomorrow? He's like, no, I need to talk with you now. And I was lying there wrestling. (laughs) Strangely, the Lord brings to my mind something I said that day on January 15th, 2015, when they were rolling me in a gurney down to a cath lab that would save my life. And I remember praying, God, if you would just give me a little more time, a little more bonus time. It's just that I'd, I'd like to pour a little bit more into my boys. They were so young. God brings that right to my mind. And He says, Can't we talk now? And in that moment, I rolled over and said, Yes, yeah, son. So we went and found a place over in where his bunk was and crawled in together and talked about what was on his mind and processed and I watched midnight come and I watched midnight go but at the end he took my big hand and set it on his heart and said okay dad I feel better now thanks for getting up why don't you pray for me and we can go to sleep now. That was a moment I got it right. Was it convenient? No. So what I wanted to do? Not exactly in that moment. But Christ says, I want you to deny yourself. To take up your cross daily, every day, all day and night long, no clocking in, no clocking out, no switching tracks, no cross bonding with the world, no living for yourself, living for the next cause that I put in front of you. Friends, that is what we're called to do. And why would we do it? Because we have a savior who did so much more, who did so much better, for all of us, while we were yet sinners headed for a Christless eternity of separation from Him, He would come and die for us. That wasn't convenient. That wasn't comfortable. That wasn't timely. But He was faithful. And that, friends, is what we're called to be. If we were to see revival in this great nation of ours, I'm convinced it would not have anything to do with the government. See Chairman Mao, see China, see plenty of other places. Would I like a government that is church or Christian friendly? Sure, that's my druthers. But our faith doesn't depend on those things. It all has everything to do with our saying, I'm gonna follow you. And when we do that, there is a vortex that begins to happen. And others say, I want in. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for our whole nation. Why don't we pray about it? Lord, thank you for the, the truth of your word. It's always timely, it's always challenging. You always have plans in mind for us, lessons to teach us. I pray, God, that you would work on this Independence Day in all of our hearts to help us do an assessment of where am I in my own discipleship journey? Because nothing could be more important than that. Friend. In your own mind right now uh, as we talk to the Lord I want you to put in your mind somebody who you who you uh, admire for their walk with Christ maybe it's a parent of yours or a friend or somebody in the neighborhood or somebody at work and we're putting that in mind, not to, not to worship them, but just to remind ourselves, okay, there are some people who are really trying to carve this out. And then I want you to ask yourself, and let's ask the Lord, what is it, God, that's standing between me and progress, walking with you, like that man or that woman, is demonstrating? why don't we just bring that let the Lord put his finger on that and say well it's this here's what's blocking there's always a block maybe it's your temper maybe it's your greed maybe it's your pride why don't you just let him diagnose you right now in your heart And then here's the challenge. The challenge for the day is would you be obedient and surrender that over to the Lord to say I'm going to quit hanging on to that. I'm going to let go of that so that the channels of living water might rise up inside of me. Springs of living water bringing new life into me, not blocking it out, but letting it flow through. If you would surrender that right now while we're praying, why don't you just in your own heart and mind, maybe even your hands. Sometimes when I need to surrender something, I just, I just open up. My hands sort of like this and just, just say, Lord, I'm surrendering this over to you because I couldn't do better than you. Why don't you just, let's have a moment of surrendering right now. Now, Lord, I pray that you would take all of us, take our lives and help us to put our eyes on you. Sort of like that that Rwandan pastor who could say it so clearly, God, would you make us more like that than the half-hearted, half-in, half-Christian that our world seems increasingly full of. It's clearly not bringing revival in this part of the world. Lord, help each of us to have the grace and to act on that grace, appropriating it into our lives to the end, that we would see revived selves, revived communities and even a revived nation. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus, amen.